if I have sagging points in my book, I usually solve them by shooting somebody. That always, that always picks up the action. Yes. Bullets zip by, and then you got to figure out where it came from. Sometimes you got to go back. Um, well, that's uh, a great that's a great tip, and I might use that. Yeah, go ahead. It's hard in Amish, you know. There's some books that just doesn't work, but yeah, works for westerns really well. Welcome to Historical Fiction Unpacked. I'm your host, Allison Treat. Hello, readers, and welcome back to the show. This is episode six of season five. I have realized that um, because I decided to have separate seasons of the podcast and count each show within that season, you guys have no idea what number show I'm on overall. Some people just count their shows and, and label them that way. Well, if I count my overall shows, not including the trailer that I made at the beginning, this is episode 98. That means we're almost episode 100. So I feel like that's a bit of a milestone. And I should have been maybe planning something special for that like I did for the two year anniversary. But I didn't do that. So we probably are just gonna, you know, acknowledge it somehow. But I'll think about that. If you have ideas for me about how we should acknowledge this milestone, then um, send me a message via my website, alisontreat.com, or you can just email me, alison at alisontreat.com. Or you can talk about it in the Historical Fiction Unpacked podcast group on Facebook. That's also a fun place for conversation. Getting back to this episode, though, I'm going to share a conversation I had with Mary Keneally. Mary is such a prolific author. Um, We get into that and talk about how this book that released on Tuesday is her 73rd book, which is amazing to me. Um, She releases three books a year, and we do talk about that, but she writes Westerns, Cowboys with Romance, and... um, I just really enjoyed our conversation. There's, It's packed full of information and you heard a little snippet of it at the beginning of the show. And that's something I, I want to do, but I very often forget. I thought I was going to start this whole new season with a little soundbite at the beginning of every episode. And I, this is the first time I remember to do it. So that's how my life is, guys. Thanks for bearing with me and listening to me in spite of my failings in the area of podcast production. But I know that you're going to love this conversation. So I'm going to get right to it now. Here's my conversation with Mary Keneally. Mary, thank you so much for joining me on the show today. Uh, It's nice to be on, Allison. Thank you for having me. Yes, your latest novel, Forged in Love, released two days ago. Well, it will have released two days ago when this episode comes out. Um, February 28th is when it released. Can you tell me about this book? Um, Forged in Love is uh, what what sparked my interest in this book is that I found out that Wyoming, when it was still a territory, was the first state in the union to allow women the right to vote. And the more I read about that and looked into it, just the more interesting it was become. I mean, why Wyoming? Why did yeah. that? Why did they be the first one? And and just a lot of the history and how the the United States, they're trying to get the territories to be states, and they kept telling Wyoming, you're, you're not going to get to be a state as long as women can vote in your state. And Wyoming just said, we're, 
it's it's we'll stay in territory then. We're not interested in doing this. And it was just it's really interesting to read and fun to, to study. And and this is women's suffrage, so it's so much more than voting. Right. Uh, they they had the they could have the appointed government offices and they could run for elective offices. They could serve on juries. Wow. And so I read this really interesting biography of the first woman justice of the peace who was in Wyoming. Mm. And so I decided to have all my heroines kind of play against type, you know, kind of had masculine careers, including one of them is going to be the second woman justice of the peace. That's, that's in book two. But my first book is she's a lady blacksmith forged in love. Yes. And she's, uh, she's kind of apprenticed and learned to do it because she's just been her father and her brother and her, and they just, her father didn't want to leave her home alone. So he let her come along and do simple things. And she's gotten really good over the years. And then her father and brother are killed in a stagecoach robbery and she's left for dead. And, uh, now, now she's the only blacksmith in this town. And, and a lot of people think it's great. And a lot of people are kind of outraged. This is no job for a woman. And at the end, though, everybody's like, but I really do need, you know, this hinge fixed on my door. So, okay. <laughs> so I will put up with you because I have no choice. And right. it's just, and then all that is just a backdrop of her being sort of forced to do this job. And then. Because of the stagecoach, robbers never leave witnesses to their crime, and somehow she survived, and now people are trying to kill her. So that's it. And uh, then a handsome diner cook, the guy who runs the town diner, sort of steps in between her and danger, and they're they're trying to catch the robbers before something terrible happens to her. And and that's the story of, of... fortune love but i sort of did it against type so she's the blacksmith and he's the cook yeah i noticed that although back then you know a lot of small town diners were run by men so it's not that much (laughs) sure but i i would think that it would have been um unusual to have a a female blacksmith though oh yeah and my mother-in-law who was who is would be a hundred now you know she passed away she said when she was a kid and we're talking 1919 1920 in there wow she said if a woman had a job and got married it was just just expected she would quit the job because it was considered shameful i mean her friend she had a friend who was a school teacher and when she got married they didn't tell that they'd gotten married. He went home and lived with his folks. She went home and lived with her <laughs> folks. And, and because she didn't want to quit her job. Wow. And so this forged in love. So now she now she's getting interested in this diner guy, but everybody, including herself, just thinks, well, yeah, but you can't be a blacksmith anymore if you're a married woman. That mm. would be shameful to your husband. Are you saying he can't take care of you? Yeah. So we work some of that in too. So. Oh, that's neat. So you talked a little bit about women's suffrage. And so that is that why you wanted to write about Wyoming in particular? I mean, this is the beginning of a new series. So do they all have to do with women's suffrage in Wyoming? They all have to do with women who are in non-traditional jobs. Okay. And so the second one is the, the seamstress. And her running thing is she wants to make pretty dresses. Well, 
if you look at Wyoming back then, <laughs> there are no women. There are no women. But she got to Wyoming heading west. She's a widow. heading west with her brother. Uh-huh. And she finds out she really loves it there. She loves women's suffrage. She loves that freedom that she's given there. And when her brother wants to go on west, she just says, just go. I'm a widow. I can live by myself. But then she doesn't get to make dresses because there just are no women. And the few women there are make their own dresses. So then then some man asks her if she can make chaps. Do you know how to make chaps? And she's like, well, I could probably figure it out. So now she's like, got this incredibly successful business just doing something she has no interest in doing, but boy, she's pretty good at it. And then the third book is a lady rancher. So oh, wow. they, they all have kind of non-traditional jobs and, and they're all excited about suffrage. And they're also all, you know, they want to be independent women, but they're also fallen in love. So, yeah, well, it's interesting that women's suffrage was so, early to the scene in Wyoming. And you said there were not that many women there. So no. why why was it such a big deal if uh, it was mostly men? Uh, you know, they they uh, the guy that they appointed to the governor, the territorial governor, right after the Civil War, was uh, just a guy who really believed in that. He's a guy who had been fighting to get the vote for, for freed slaves. And he'd been, been fighting to get the vote for for women. And uh, uh, he was just all for it. And they had a lot of things going like, I can't remember which one, I think North Dakota, maybe it was the Dakotas back then. Mm-hmm. They would pass women's suffrage because there was so much pressure. There was just pressure for it all over with the understanding that the governor would veto it. And they just passed it every year, but they knew he'd veto it. And and Utah passed women's suffrage. And then the, the government, if you want to be a state, you can't have women vote. And they're like, okay. And they just took it back away from them. So why Wyoming stuck to it? I don't know. It had a lot to do with that governor. Uh, but it's, I mean, the whole legislature's run by men. They they had to vote for it. So right. anyway, it's just interesting to read about. And this Esther Morris, who was the first woman justice of the peace, she was big suffrage. Uh, and she ended up in Wyoming because there was some gold rush or something. And she's, I don't know. She just pushed for it and got to know the governor somehow. And he just thought she was great. And then, uh, so when they finally pushed it, they just came right to her practically and said, okay. Cause like the justice of the peace they had, had to allow women on juries. And he said, I absolutely will not do it. So they fired him and they gave the job to a woman. So oh. anyway, it's interesting. It's very, her story is really interesting. So. Yeah. Well, there are so many, things in history like that that oh yeah and go down rabbit trails with for sure absolutely and when i'm researching a book and i read something that just like gives me a little bit of a chill i think okay okay what's this you know i mean i've been doing historical westerns for gosh i don't know 15 years i'd never heard of wyoming and women's suffrage before so you just think there's so much stuff out there that's so interesting so yes absolutely so um, speaking again about Forged in Love, the first book in the series, what are you hoping readers will gain from this novel? Well, I wanted when the when she finally falls in love with the with the diner guy, I, I just I'm always trying to balance out the wedding vows that say obey 
with the idea of a partnership, with the idea of mm-hmm. they really need to both be working together to uplift each other rather than somebody being in charge and somebody else, yeah, somebody else making all the rules. And so, you know, here she is, this very independent, very successful, self-supporting woman. Right. And he's the same. His diner's doing great. And uh, so them just trying to, trying to be really reasonable and to him just absolutely, you can stay and be a blacksmith after we're married, but she also knows the first time there's trouble How's he going to stay? This first time somebody is mean to him, like, oh, I guess you can't take care of your own wife. How are you going to handle it? And the fact that they just, you know, say it any way you want, but what's it really going to be like? And so she's really hesitant to, to, mm-hmm. to give, to give up the independence she has because she's just afraid. Even her father, when he was teaching her to be a blacksmith, he always acted like, well, yeah, it's no job for a woman, but I really do need this. So, yeah, go ahead. She never got that true respect for what she was able to do. And, oh, and of okay. course, then there's trouble after they're married. And the first thing he does is say, oh, well, you can't be a blacksmith anymore. So there's their, <laughs> there's their big trouble. So we oh, have to work all that out. Yeah. And now with you talking about her learning from her father again to be a blacksmith. Um, you, I don't know if you said this when you were talking just now, but I read in the material um, that she lost her memory in the yeah. attack. So how did she, how much did she lose? Just like, just the memory the of what day. happened. Yeah. She just lost the day. She knew. Oh, every, okay. You know, like a lot of, a lot of people with head injuries, I've yeah. done amnesia before. Amnesia is tricky. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's really confusing to, because every thought a character has is rooted in the things they remember, you know? Yes, yes. So I had, but, and it's also very rare. That kind of amnesia is very unusual. Mm-hmm. But just somebody who can't remember anything in the hours before and after a blow to the head, that's that's pretty common. Right. So anyway, that's the way she is. She can't remember anything and they're trying to convince everybody that, oh, she couldn't possibly have witnessed anything because she has no memory of that day. And mm. then the killers decided that if they kill her, they've got to make it look like an accident because nobody will put up with just an outright murder of a woman right here in town. And so, oh. the, so that keeps them from being just attacking her. So, so they're trying to find a way to have her not survive. And yet they're afraid her memory will come back. So. So yes, so she remembers all about being a blacksmith. Right. Okay. Um, so how how has writing this book in particular changed your view of history? How I, you know mostly what I learn now about history. I don't know if it changes it so much as it broadens it. I certainly have a better understanding of uh, suffrage than I ever did before. I just thought it was women getting to vote, but yeah. And the reasoning behind why they weren't letting women vote. They, uh, for example, Wyoming gave women the right to serve on juries. And two years later, they took it back. They just thought this is just so we don't, women shouldn't have to listen to something so unpleasant. They're oh. going to become coarse. They're going to be, be hurt by this. How will they be good wives and mothers if they've listened to murder all day? And it's just interesting because at the same time, it's really condescending. It's it's they, they sort of try to root it in taking care of women, 
Well, that's interesting. Yeah, because I would have thought, what, they don't think that we have a good judgment about whether someone's guilty or yeah. not. But, but I guess that wasn't the, the thought behind it, at least that wasn't well, and how there they... Was a, there was a real attitude that, well, a man will take care of you. He'll take into consideration what you want when he votes and things right. like that. Well, what <laughs> if, if I lucky. don't have a man? What if I'm a, a single woman working without yeah. a without a father and brother now to speak up for me or a husband to speak up for me, you know, a lot of women are on their own. And these three women are particularly on their own and independent. And right. So, yeah, that's interesting. Uh huh. So, um, I'm going to pivot a little bit away from the book or the series okay. now and, and to talk to you about, um, on your, I was reading your website and at the top of your like about me page, you have some encouraging words. So I'm going to read them. Okay. Don't be afraid to strive and sweat and pray and fail and strive and pray some more for the desires of your heart. Because my books and this site are proof that dreams can come true, that with God, all things are possible. So can you tell me how you came to write those words and and for your dreams to come true? Uh, Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you... If you knew me, Allison, I am the most boring person who ever lived. I live way out in the country. I started writing when there was no internet. No, I mean, it, it existed, but I had to go to the library. I didn't have it at my house. Right, I, right. I, I had my first computer at home. And when I started typing, sort of on a whim, somebody kind of challenged me to do it because I was talking about writing. And they said, and I started writing and I just loved it. Hmm. But but I didn't know anyone. I didn't know there was Christian fiction. I didn't get that there were publishers. The only real publisher I knew was like Harlequin, you know? <laughs> yeah. And and it was right at the time when Harlequin romances were starting to get more and more uh sexual. And right. I just I didn't want to write that. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of targeting, there's this one little line of Harlequin left silhouette that's, that's still kind of the old, you know, sex after they're married and not graphic and all this stuff. Mm-hmm. So I'm writing and writing and I'm targeting them. And all of a sudden I find out there's Christian fiction. I mean, I even read Christian fiction. I just didn't get it. You couldn't Google anything, you know? Right, right. And if you're not I mean, in the Bethany House world. Publisher was out there. Barber was out there. They're all out there. I just didn't know. Right. So I'm writing all these books that actually really fit. I didn't have a strong faith thread in them, but all my characters were conducting themselves as mm-hmm. they would if they were Christians. And I found that there's Christian fiction and it just, I could just wake up this whole section of all my books. And, uh, and as far as striving, I mean, from the first day that I got my first book done, I was writing with the idea of getting published. I wasn't doing it for a hobby. And this was mm-hmm. before indie pub. This was, this was back when you, you know, if you wanted to self publish your book, it's going to cost you $5,000 or $10,000. Right. So I wasn't going to do that. I didn't have that kind of money. Mm-hmm. So if I wrote for 10 years and what I think of as mole like anonymity, just writing. And when I finally got a book sold to Barber Publishing, I had 20 finished books on my computer. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's and then, a nice backlog to work with. Oh, it's great. But, you know, a lot of people write one book and then just spend, spend years trying to sell it. Yeah. For some reason, that just, I guess I just like the writing more than I like the selling, but... 
Yeah. I just, I'd get one done and I just like, I, the nothing I like better than a blank screen and an idea in front of me. And I wow. just start typing the next book. And, uh, and when I finally sold that book to Barbara, they said, what else you got? And I'm like, oh, <laughs> whoa. Have I, or, or do you have anything else like this? Well, I, I had written widely in all genres, mainly, mm, yeah, mainly romance, but the Western thing wasn't really good. But I just think it hit. I mean, I'm from rural Nebraska. My husband's a Nebraska cattleman. I just maybe think I brought, I'm just guessing. I don't know. I just think maybe I brought an authenticity to that, that right, sort of, right. that sort of came through in the book. So then I'm just like, here, I think I had sold, I think I'd had six books sold to Barbara before I wrote one. Mm. So, so, and then after we wow. got that, you know, and uh, all 20 of those books, there might be two that have been lost to time. And there's some other ones too. I'm not counting. I wrote some children's books. I wrote all sorts of stuff, but the Westerns are what hit. And then after we kind of got that and I got a rhythm going with it. And then uh, we talked to Bethany house and they said they were interested. And so I've been writing for them ever since. So, wow, that's great. And now, so you're, how many books have you released? The book that's coming out in f- is, is, I believe, my 73rd book. 73? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Some of them are novellas, but not too many, 15 or right. 20, I suppose, but I count them. <laughs> I don't know if that's of right, course. but I do. <laughs> oh, I would count them too. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, yeah. So, so obviously, you're now very experienced in the publishing world. How can you share kind of what you've learned uh, I don't know not, not everything of course <laughs> a few things you've learned <laughs> between when you were you know writing those books on your computer they were building up and and now how is your life different you know it's a lot the same I got the kids grown up I guess I don't know yeah I, I it's just that's what I do I just people always say how do you how do you get in there and write how do you focus and that's not that's not who I am it's regular life that keeps stumping me. I'm just like, I'm just going to go back and write some more because I don't know what's going on. I mean, sort of like you trying to get me to get this, you know, podcast set up. So um, what have I learned? I learned you have to explode the beginning of your book. Mm. Um, I've, I've learned it. If you don't grab them by the very, very beginning, it's, you're never going to get a book sold. And that might not be true once you've got fans and a, you know, a following, but. Right. Right. I, I think a lot, my books, I call them romantic comedy with cowboys. And I think there's a real, I don't know if there is so, really romances, you know, there's always a romance, but you hear of people say, well, the romance has to be 50% of the book or 25 or whatever. I, I just, it just doesn't work like that. I go, I go in just trying to tell a story. Right. Sure. And, uh, and the romance is part of that story and happily ever after is the end goal. But um, if I have sagging points in my book, I usually solve them by shooting somebody. <laughs> that, always, that always picks up. The action, yes. Well, zip by, and then you got to figure out where it came from. Sometimes you got to go back. Um, well, that's uh, a great. That's a great tip, and I might use that. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. It's hard in Amish, you know. There's some books that just doesn't work, but <laughs> yeah, works for westerns really well. Um, feelings, emotions. I think that's the thing because I reread a lot of books, and I try to be aware of why do I love this scene. Mm. It's because of how they make you feel. 
Yes. And so I try to really bring emotion into a book. And I think instead of making somebody feel that my heroine is angry, I'm trying to make the reader be angry. Do you understand that? Yes. Instead of them seeing that the heroine is afraid, I want them to be afraid. Hmm. You know, it's just, a, it's a deeper way of drawing them into the emotions. And I think the gateway to a lot of that is uh, the five senses. If you can make them smell things and taste things and that are familiar, like mm-hmm. here's a piece of chocolate cake and then a bullet comes zipping through. I mean, they're in there, you know, <laughs> you draw them in with the five senses by giving them things that are familiar to them. Right. And that brings them into the story in a deeper way. And then the emotions become their own rather than them just reading in a detached way. Oh, look, that's sweet. She's fallen in love. Instead, <laughs> you want them to be falling in love. You yes. Know? So I don't know. That's sort of, I know that works for me, the emotion. So right, that's how great. you get there, I'm not sure. but <laughs> Right. Well, and so 73 books, um, how many books do you release a year? Right now, Bethany House and I are doing three books a year. Wow. So I feel like that's a pace I can keep up with. I was doing four a year for a while back in my barber days, but that's when I had some of these books already written so I could stay ahead. But that started Mm -hmm. to scare me. So then we did it for a while with Bethany and I was doing two a year, but it's like, it's just had just enough time to get myself in trouble. Like I'm agreeing to do these novellas and all this other stuff. And <laughs> so I, so then I asked him and if, so for, for now, I feel like I'm keeping up and I, I like doing it. I, I, I don't know. That's just all I do. I, I've got grandkids and books. That's it. That, uh, yeah. <laughs> so. That's great. So um, tell me a little bit about your research and writing process when you start a book. Are you working on all of them at the same time? Or are you working on one at a time? Well, um, I, I write, I start a book and write beginning to end. Um, I try to get the next book up and going before I have to turn in book one. I'm trying to mm-hmm. get a giant step into book two, because a lot of times I realize, oh, I should have mentioned there was a uh, snowdrift there. Because yeah. now they're in the snowdrift and they're talking about, when did this melt? You know, so, and I, and um, I'll figure out the name I want of somebody who's in this group. And then I can go back and weave that name back in, you know, right, so, right. so it's not like I just called him the guy before. Now I've got a name for him. And what happens is I research. I spend a lot of time with a lot of windows open on my computer. So I'm typing along and oh, yeah. I'm like, what <laughs> river would this be that they're crossing right now? What what mountain range would be in the area that I'm trying to go? Mm-hmm. Um, and when I'm researching, very often I'll read something I'm researching and think, and that'll spark the next idea. Right. So oh, that's great. Yeah, it really is. It's because there's just so many weird small stories in the West of people just doing interesting, heroic, really, things. You know, history is the story of heroes, you know, mm-hmm. wars and battles and 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 inventions and all this interesting stuff that went on because it doesn't make history if it's not big, you know? Right, right, so, yeah. So that, I just find history to be ripe for, for – uh, fictionalizing and putting people right in there in the middle of all that. So. Yeah, absolutely. So next up are book two and book three in the series. Is that, is it 
Only yes. three books? It's a trilogy? Yes, this is a th- that's what I usually do. I've mm-hmm. never considered doing something else. Sometimes I have characters from old series wander through my books. but Oh, that's fun. But I've never done more than... I usually do three. So sometimes I've done a novella that's a fourth book. But yes, uh, these three books. The next one is called... Um, Laws of Attraction. She's the Justice of the Peace. I think Bethany House does such a good job of, of titles that I just yeah. I just tend to like like that book is called Nell. <laughs> Here's what's it about. Think of a title. So <laughs> they really and they I, I give them ideas, but then they come up with something completely different. I'm like, oh wow, that's a good idea. You guys yeah. are good at this. <laughs> so and then the third one is called Marshalling Her Heart. Ah. So that then so all three of these women. They've got their own struggles and their own romance and their own life, but there's this overarching theme of these stagecoach robbers that are haunting the area, and uh, they sort of bring bring some to justice, and then they and then they leave my heroine from Forged in Love alone because they know that's the only one that they saw was this guy. So so now they decide to leave her alone. So then they didn't name the next one; they name her Justice of the Peace and. She's trying to get to the bottom of these stagecoach robbers, and she's a widow of a man who was a lawman, so she really knows a lot about the law. In her pretty little, I want to sew dresses and put lace on collars way, she's also like, yeah, we need to look at the bodies. We can find something out if we, oh, wow. you know. And and everybody's like, women can't look at dead bodies. And she's like, well, somebody's got to look at them. <laughs> you know? Yeah. You can't just bury them. We got to have a look. And, and just stuff like that. She just knows things from her life before that isn't really who she is. And yet, you know, the sheriff of the town and a couple other people see this in her that, oh, she's pretty good at this. Let's get her to be the justice of the peace. So, Right. So how far ahead are you working? Do you know what's coming after the... Um- yeah, I know Wyoming what I'm doing Sunrise. next year. I just turned in book one of the a series that has no series title yet. Okay. And wow. and this is, I, I shouldn't talk about that. This is for the future, but I read a book called The Woman They Could Not Silence hmm. about a woman who got locked up in an insane asylum because she irritated her husband. Oh my goodness. And it's just fascinating. And how she got out and how she just, she changed the world. She had to pretty much, when she got out, her husband had plans to put her back in. And she pretty much got, like she threw a note out of her window that some passerby took to a friend and they got her out of the house before he could spirit her away again to another insane asylum. Wow. And and, uh, she changed the world. She just went around and started changing laws because they just like, you can't do this. She ended up getting declared legally sane. And and she's just like, this is not right. I should not have to prove I'm sane. And all you got to do is bring a doctor in here who's making money from my husband because he's paying right. monthly to keep me locked up. And anyway, it's just, it's just was, she's a fascinating character. And then I, you know, I thought, what if my heroine escaped from this? <laughs> so yeah, anyway, so things. that's what I'm, that's what I'm working on now. So. Oh, that's so great. we're doing the Wyoming women suffrage this time, and we're doing the insane asylum women next time. So. <laughs> wow. That's <laughs> yeah. great. So many interesting stories. Well, there just really are. And I just keep hoping that I find new twists and turns. And and uh, anyway, I've been talking 
with this one, I've been talking to uh, the Trails and Rails Museum in Kearney, Nebraska. Okay. I don't know who answers the phone there, but he's just like, oh, yeah, hi, Mary. <laughs> he's got nothing. <laughs> and then I'm like, do trains run through the night? Oh, he did. And then he just launches. He knows all this stuff. And you can tell he's just delighted to talk about it. Wow. You know, people don't want it. I this forged in love. I found a living history museum with a blacksmith. Mm-hmm. Oh, that guy just talked and talked and talked. It's so fun, I think. Yeah. And I, you can tell he's just like, really? You have follow-up questions? Yeah, let's go. So right. anyway, they love to, people love to talk it's, about It's their, their specialty. Expertise. And for most, yes. mostly people are just walking around and looking and wandering on. And it, somebody actually has a bunch of questions. Yeah, they love it. So. Yes. Yeah, that's great. So this is a question I ask all my guests. Okay. How do you think learning about history through story helps us approach life in the present? You know, um, I feel like this. I'm not sure there's a bigger lesson to be learned. But reading about women's suffrage and reading about these insane asylums, it just makes you realize we didn't invent trouble, you know? (laughs) We kind of think right now it's just the worst it's ever been. It's just so terrible. And it's just like, you know, there's just always been conflict. There's always been trouble. Um, Where did I read somewhere? Or I was listening to some history podcast. And they said that Thomas Jefferson hired a newspaper guy to make up false stories about the guy who was running against him for president. Oh, my goodness. And it all came out later. And he's like, yeah, yeah, I did that. What about it? And they're just like, it was like John Adams or somebody. I don't remember which one it was. It was one who ended up being president later. But I mean, there's just always been skullduggery and underhanded stuff and, and, you know, just conflict. And so so to me, I guess what I learned from history is kind of like we just need to settle down and just except that there's just always going to be trouble in this world. That's the world, you know? Right. So anyway, so. Yeah, that's an interesting point. It's true. Well, Mary, this has been a wonderful conversation. What is the best way for listeners to follow you? Um, I'm on Facebook, Mary Keneally. Um, spelling my name right is the trick. And I, <laughs> uh, people are just going to have to work on that. I got a website, marykeneally.com. Um, a really great way to follow me is if I go to Amazon and follow me as an author, then you right. will get an email when a new book releases and that that'll come right to your inbox. So you should be able to keep up with it. that. I've got a newsletter that you can sign up for through my website and, mm-hmm. uh, and I do not flood people's inboxes. I, uh, barely even send them a newsletter ever. So it's not like you're asking, you know, making a big commitment <laughs> with me. So, but I usually just release a newsletter every time I have a book come out. So, okay. So, um, they could, they could do that. I'm on book Bob some and I, I'm on Goodreads. So, okay. All good ways to follow you. Yeah. Yeah. And it's Keneally, C-O-N-N-E-A-L-Y, right? That's right. And there I have found in my life, uh, this is my husband's name, there are four different ways to misspell that. So all I can say is good luck. That's all. <laughs> That's Too many why N's, not enough A's, one extra L. You know, there's just, it's crazy. So Right, right. Yeah, well, that happens with lots of names. So Yeah. So, 
Well, this was great, Mary. Thank you so much for being with us today. Well, thank you. Thank you for all your help getting me set up here. So I live in the 1870s in my head a lot of times. Modern technology is oh, tricky. Too. <laughs> so I understand. Well, friends, I know that you found that conversation really valuable. It was so fun. And I loved having Mary on the show. So um, as usual, I just want to remind you of a few ways you can help support Historical Fiction Unpacked. The first thing to do is to follow the show, to subscribe it to it. Um, and then if you do that, then you can rate and review the show and let us know if you like the show, because um, that also helps other people find Historical Fiction Unpacked, other readers of Historical Fiction. Also, feel free to join the conversation in the Facebook group, Historical Fiction Unpacked podcast group. You can get there from the show notes, which can be found at alisontreat.com slash blog. So all the show notes live there and you just go to each individual show to find links to the books that we discussed and to the author's website and also to um, the Facebook group and to my Instagram. You can follow the Instagram at Historical Fiction Unpacked. And also in the show notes, you can get to Patreon, my Patreon account, which is a great way to support this show if you want to take it a step further and use your pocketbook to help us keep the lights on here. There are lots of benefits to the different tiers within Patreon, so check that out if it is within your budget and if you feel led to support the show in that way. And now, as always, my friends, I want to leave you with a quote Mary mentioned that history is the story of heroes. And so I wanted to share this quote with you from Harlan Ellison. History will decide if I'm a villain or a hero. So keep reading historical fiction, my friends. I will talk to you again next week.